You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we are finishing up our series going through the Beatitudes, which is the beginning part of Jesus' most famous sermon, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. And really what this is, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, is it's Jesus drawing us a roadmap to a life of happiness. It's not a prescription of how to get to heaven. Instead, it's a way that we can be a gift to the world. Uh, and we're going to finish up that this morning. But before we jump into that, I do want to just kind of bring something to your attention because it was brought to my attention this last week. I talked about three people who um, obviously have gone through the pandemic, all like us. And there is just, there's a loneliness factor that exists in our world with so many of us today. And I think we undervalue our own selves in being able to remedy it. Essentially what I'm trying to say is I want you to understand as we get started today, the value that your words of encouragement and that your outreach means uh, to your friends, your not so close friends, to your family, maybe to your not so close family. And so I want to encourage you to do something this morning. I had a conversation with three different people that almost all went exactly the same and they just were alerted to the fact that when the pandemic hit and there was kind of this idea that everybody was finding their, their number one and number two, right? Their pod, their people that they were gonna try to ride this out with. Um, they just came to the really difficult realization that I don't think I'm somebody's one or number two. And it's this tough moment that so many of us have had. And you know, maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum where you're like, man, I had too many. I have four kids in the house and it's been wild and crazy and um, just waiting for the weather to get good so everybody can run outside. But there are so many people out right now that are lonely and forgotten. And so many of us feel like, well, somebody's got them covered or someone's bringing them in. I want you to encourage you today, no matter where you're at, can you send a text message to somebody? Can you have a phone call? Let's, let's avoid email. That's a little too professional. But can you reach out to somebody today and just ask, how are you doing? And then after you ask how they're doing, can you care about how they're doing? Because that's the big follow-up, right? A lot of us can send that first text message, but once things start getting real, once you start hearing stories shared, it's like, all right, this is a little too much for me, or that sounds expensive, or that sounds like it might take some time. Can we engage with some people who may or may not be lonely uh, that are within our immediate circle and even just on the outskirts of that? Let's not forget about anybody uh, as life even starts to trend toward feeling like it's back to some kind of normal. Can we do that this week? Yeah? All right, Matthew chapter 5, and in verse 3, is where we're gonna start. We're gonna reread the Beatitudes just to remind you right here. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So Jesus presents to us a new way of living. 
He talks about humility. He talks about being poor in spirit. He presents this new way, this new ideal to these followers that are with him at present. But he doesn't just do that. He actually gives permission for these individuals to walk away from the antithesis of all these things, right? It's not just a welcoming into being poor in spirit. It's giving people the ability to let go of their need for riches. It's our ability to let go of our need for perpetual comfort and for pride and for position and for control and for being politicized. For It allows us to let go for our need to be famous. It, let, it lets go of our need to measure our life as successful in each and every single one of these ways. Now, the problem that Jesus presents us isn't just that it can be difficult to live with a humble spirit. It can be difficult to live in poor in spirit and to seek justice. It can create exhaustion. It, creates, it requires a lot of energy. But the thing is that he's asking us to leave things that are far more measurable. I can measure a lot of times my influence based on whatever my title is, and I can present that to you. I can measure how much money I have in my bank account, which, by the way, is, um, is not, it's not a lot right now. There was some new King Jr. gear that dropped us last week that I spent a little money on. It's, it's fine. My wife and I fought about it, and we're good now. I'm good now. We're, we're good. We're good. I can measure that. I can measure how many followers I have on Instagram or Twitter. I can measure how many likes I get. I can measure all these things that create prestige in my life. And Jesus is saying, now I'm going to give you the ability to set you free from all those things. You no longer have to measure yourself against other people that are striving after all those things. Instead, we get to walk into the uncomfortable area of the immeasurable amount of humility that we can present into our world. It's difficult to measure how we are poor in spirit. But the thing that is the best about how it sets us free is that when you all of a sudden leave your need to have an incredible amount of pride or an incredible amount of money, you stop chasing something that will never satisfy you. Have you ever noticed in your life that pride doesn't present itself and go, you know what, we're prideful enough right now. I think we're good. Or have you ever noticed that money never comes to you and it's like, you know, this amount of money, I think we're done. No, it's a more investment. I'm gonna find this more. And look, none of these things in and of themselves are bad. But I want you to understand that if we measure ourselves simply based on these measurable things of how we can have pride and how we can have prestige and how we can continue to climb the ladder, there's always another ladder to climb. There's always more money to get. These things will leave you chasing after emptiness while humility, being poor in spirit and not relying on yourself but relying on Jesus actually leads to real and true happiness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning, uh, for those who are gathered in home churches as well as uh, gathered in the room today. Lord, we believe that your presence is here and that means everything to us. So Jesus, we give you all the praise and glory. We wanna walk and follow after you. We wanna find this happiness that you allow us to seek after. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I want to share with you one of my more uh, controversial thoughts, okay? Uh, it's been a, a year and a half for controversy. I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring. And uh, I'm 95% sure this is from Jesus, but I'll let you decide. And that is, I believe, potatoes are the greatest food in the world. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of prayer, uh, a lot of taste testing has led me to this understanding. And I hope you will believe it is the Spirit of God. Come on, when was the last time you had something that was a potato where you were just like, you know, it's just not that great? 
You had French fries the other day. My goodness, French fries and potato chips. And the baked potato is it's fine. Uh, need some sour cream and some cheese on that thing along with the, some salt and stuff like that. But you had come on, hash browns, country potatoes, uh, JoJo's is what we call uh, potato wedges. One of the, just some JoJo people in the house. That's the Glendale thing. Um, Come on, these things, this is amazing. This is the, the stuff. But one of the things that we got to understand about potatoes is that they are terrible all by themselves. When was the last time you heated up a potato and you were like, I'm not going to put anything on this. I'm just going to pop it in my mouth. Biggest mistake of your life. These potatoes are, are, are flavorless. And somehow, especially when you bake them, they just stay so hot. How do they stay so hot for so long? What kind of a heating mechanism do they have inside? I swear I could, I could put the potatoes in my oven for a few hours and I could bring them out, put them on my countertop. I don't got to turn on my heater for the rest of the day. They just emanate. Which leads us to this illustration that Jesus has for us when he talks about in verse 13. He goes on and he says, look, you're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So he leaves the first part of this Beatitudes message and he goes into this word description because I would imagine the people are going, okay, so you want us to leave this. We get to let go of our pride and our position as being how we measure the success of our life and we get to walk into these other things. So what does that look like? Because we're trying to climb the rungs and we're trying to have prestige and those are the measurables for our life. And Jesus says, okay, let me tell you what you are. You're salt. You're light. The thing about both of these things that is so beautiful and what Jesus is trying to communicate to his church that exists right here in these walls and in our homes today is that we are never ever meant to be the centerpiece of the kingdom of God. The centerpiece is of course Jesus himself who was crucified and rose again and that is where the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness pours out from. But somewhere along the way, I believe that we as the church have made the decision that we are to be the centerpiece of this exchange when instead Jesus is saying, you're salt, I want you to draw out the flavors of the world that exists around you. You're light, I want you to illuminate a pathway so that people can come and find this grace and this mercy and forgiveness. We all fall for this trick, which is we feel like we're more successful or we've fallen into the right area of our lives when we begin to gather people into ourselves, when we begin to gather and to gather and to gather and to gather. And instead, when we're salt, we're just illuminating and bringing out the flavors of something else. When was the last time you left a restaurant and you were like, my goodness, the salt in that place must be the best salt in the city. You've never said it. And if you have, you're, 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 you're weird. Oh my goodness, the salt. No, you talked about the meat that you, you talked about the vegetables that you had. You talked about the, uh, the, the tacos. This is what you talked about. The salt instead was just a vehicle, but you would have known if that salt wasn't on there. I got to tell you, church, today, that we have to stop trying to simply gather people unto ourselves and our own intelligence and our own charisma. 
We gotta stop showing off how great we are. And the only reason that we're poor in spirit is so that we can gather a crowd. And the only reason that we seek after justice is so that we can gain notoriety. Instead of all these things, we have to be reminded of the fact that we are simply the thing that is called to draw out the flavor, to draw out the stories, to draw out the life experiences so that people can begin to put purpose into their brokenness. That's the calling that the church has. And then he says, you're light. We're called to illuminate. We're called to allow people to, to help people find the way. Now, the thing about both salt and light is this, is that both of them can absolutely crush and blind and overpower wherever they exist if we let them. Have you ever put too much salt onto a dish? All of a sudden, your eggs are crunchy. Eey. Or how about this? I bought a headlamp the other day because I, um, I live in Bend. And um, it just came with the Patagonia jacket. I don't know what to tell you. It's a package deal. And a dog. It came with Patagonia, a headlamp, and a dog. It's, it's, have you guys not seen this? Or down at City Hall. You got to go get your, your starter kit. Um, and what happened is my four-year-old daughter found this light. And like any good child, she stuck it on her head. She turned it on and figured out how to turn it up to the maximum amount of light. And then what did she do? She shoved it right in my face. This light that's intended for me to wear and to go out so that I can navigate where my dogs are. See, I am from Ben. Where my dogs are going in the middle of the night behind my house. This whole thing, it was meant to illuminate a pathway for me now has been shoved directly in my face and it is overwhelmed and it is overpowered. You guys, I gotta tell you something. God isn't so insecure that he needs his salt and he needs his light to take over because he can't actually do the work himself. Sometimes we think, no, the church needs this kind of influence so that we can take over our city in this way. No, the church needs to gather as many stories and give as much grace and opportunity for people to simply come and to glean from the Spirit of God and understand that He has come and died and rose again for us so that we could experience His grace and mercy. We are not the centerpiece. Instead, we are just something that facilitates the movement along the way. David Cassidy, a theologian, says it this way. He says, salt and light must be present to be of value, but not dominant to be of service. By their presence, both magnify the beauty of others and push back against death and darkness. And then I, I, I got to read down here now for this next part. Against death and darkness, but their dominance would ruin or blind, joyful and humble presence in word, deed, and sign is the way. I'm gonna finish up here in just a few minutes, um, said every preacher ever. How many of you had to take the trash out when you were a kid? And how many of you are haunted to this day by having to take the trash out in the middle of the night? I'm one of these kids. Uh, and how it was for us, for some reason, none of the exterior lights worked on our house. Uh, I don't know if my big brother just set it up that way when I was going to take out the trash or if that's how it was. But I would have to go out the back door and I'd have to go into uh, this breezeway that we had and then walk through that into the garage where our garbage cans were. And I'd be okay for a little while. I walk out the house, have the bags in my hand, and then somewhere along halfway right near the trash can, I knew that there were at least three large animals hunting me in that garage. 
And all of a sudden the adrenaline comes up and not just the animals. I was sure my big brother was ready to, to launch himself out at me and scare me to death at some point too. But what my mom would do sometimes is on my way back, she would know that I was out there. She would open the door from the inside and she would turn on all the lights that would shine through that door. And you know what it would do to my, to my movement? It would take this really feral, wild, rigid movement and I would see the light and I would go, oh, yes, everything's fine. All the monsters went away that were in my mind. I was confident my brother wasn't there anymore. He was there a few times, but not that time. And the light would bring this relief. I wonder if relief is the first reaction that our city has to seeing us. Maybe your friends. Let's take it even out of the context of just our city. Maybe it's your friends and your family. I wonder if the first thing when they walk into the room, when they go through a hard time and they see you is, oh, thank God. Because this city on a hill that Jesus is presenting to us isn't one that's shining its light in a way so that people feel exposed and naked. It's this light that exists on a hill so that people, no matter where they're standing in their surroundings, they can identify and they can see where the hope and the grace exists. Do they look at Westside Church, our community, and say, oh my gosh, when Westside's here, it's a relief. When we see them, when we get an opportunity, because we know that there's this grace and this generosity that comes from them that we don't always see everywhere else. I wonder if it's relief or if it's something else altogether. Church, we can be a movement that functions in a way that we can, we can bring healing into places that haven't experienced healing in a long time. But here's the best part of being salt and light, okay? Here's the best part of being these really simple elements that facilitate this movement, that don't overwhelm and try to gather unto themselves. But the best part about it is that we actually get to be our real selves that God has called us to be. I noticed this the other day. I was hanging out with... Um, with somebody that had gotten hurt and they were walking around in crutches. And you know what those crutches attract, the kind of conversations and the people that they attract? They attract people that have been on crutches or had similar injuries before. You know what happens when I tell people I had a hernia in my senior year of high school while I was playing football? All the hernia people come out. You had a hernia? Let me tell you about my fourth hernia. I, na I named that hernia. Just kidding. Don't name your hernias. Um, I had this, this is my experience. This is how it went. I'm like, oh yeah, and this is what's going on to me. And I had to wear this brace. And I, oh, you had that brace. Well, I had this kind of brace. And it was this gauge. And it was, and it was like, how do we, I made a best friend over a hernia. Those conversations don't happen when I believe myself to need to have everything together, to have everything straightforward. But what happens when we allow ourselves to walk with a little bit of a limp, when we allow people to see our brokenness, and I'm not just talking about the brokenness that we had 20 years ago that praise Jesus, God healed and it's all over now. That's a good testimony and that's wonderful too. But the brokenness that happened from this morning, the brokenness that has happened from the last several weeks, the relationship that we can't quite get over, when we allow ourselves as the whole church to walk with a limp because we don't need to be the savior, instead we need to be salt and light, all of a sudden people feel safe and welcome in our presence because they're broken just like we are. They've got stories just like we do. I wonder if the salt of the earth could draw out stories of the world. 
But here's the reason that we don't, and I'm gonna, li- I'm gonna leave you with this. But here's what we also need to do. The reason that we don't always draw out those stories from the world is because we are afraid of how diverse those stories might be. Now, I wanna have a diverse church, and I believe that racially, ethnically, background, I wanna have all of it. I wanna sing a whole stinking worship servant in Spanish, not because I know how to sing it, but, but just because there's something that happens when I understand that we're not the only church or the only people that exist right here in this world, but there is a planet full of worshipers in every tribe and nation and tongue lifting up the name of Jesus, just like we are. I don't need to know the words. I don't need to know the melody. I just need to know that Jesus loves me and I experience it in that space, but that's a different sermon for a different time. But what we will find if we allow ourselves to create this church to be a safe place for storytelling is what you'll get is a diversity of stories. You're gonna hear crazy things that you never thought you would have heard before. And then the initial reaction of the Christian is to say, okay, we'll allow these stories here just for a moment. But you got about six months of being in this class before I really need to see some progress. And six months go by and nothing really happens and a year goes by and two years and we go, you know, you don't have an unrepentant heart and you're not trying hard enough. You're not pushing hard enough in for this Jesus thing. You'd have healing by now instead of being like, look, I'm not the beginning and I'm not the end. I'm just the salt and the light that exists along the way. A church that could create an area, a place within its walls and within its community that allows for a diversity of storytelling and experience and allows those people and those stories to not just come and immediately be healed and go, but allow them to sit and wait and cultivate and learn and understand in our place. That is a church that will change its world. That is a family that will change its family. That's an individual that will have influence for the kingdom of Jesus. So my question to you, church, is can we do that? Can we not be so caught up in our own ability and our own idea of success, but instead can we live in humility? Can we make peace? Can we understand that when we receive persecution for the sake of the cross in the name of Jesus, that God has called us to live in joy in the middle of that, and can we facilitate the way for Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we we lift up your name again, Jesus, and we want to be this kind of church. We're not constantly trying to seek our own. We're not seeking ourselves. We're not just running after our own ambitions and thoughts and ideas, but instead, Jesus, we run to this place where we get to be salt and light. We facilitate people to grace. We draw out flavors and illuminate pathways. That's our greatest heart's desire, Jesus. So come and remind and empower us with these beatitudes, Lord. Let them be a way for us to find happiness that only you can bring. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now here's the thing, everybody. We can do this. We can do this. We can be patient. We can be loving. We can be caring. And we can see the individual lives and the people that we have influence around. We can begin to see their lives continue to find hope and peace in the stuff that Jesus can bring. We can do this. Let us hold ourselves accountable today to these Beatitudes and what Jesus has called us to do. We love you so much. Thank you for being here and joining us wherever you're joining us. You are now free to roam about the cabin.